0: I love the sports D&I roles because that's more about looking at fans or members and athletes and staff. How do you make sure that everybody can play? Everybody can turn up if they want to. How do you make sure that the policies, you know, suit everybody and accommodate everybody? So it's really working closely with people and culture teams. and Also working really closely with marketing and sponsorship. You really become a team that works across the entire organisation because what you're trying to do is lift their capability. The job at the end of the day, I think, is helping everyone in the organisation to open up their minds and think about who are we pitching things at, who are we talking to, who do we want to engage. You're breaking down 100, 200 years of tradition that really pitched sport to white men and saying, okay, what does that look like now for a lot of different communities?
1: G'day guys, coming up on the show today is Rana Hussain. Rana is a diversity and inclusion consultant who who holds a number of incredible roles in the sports industry, including program director at the Champions of Change Coalition. She's a board member at the Victorian Women's Trust, as well as being a broadcaster at the ABC. She's an incredible person with an amazing resume, having previously held roles at the Richmond Footy Club and Cricket Australia. Today, we delve into her journey in sport to become a leader in the diversity and inclusion space in sport, what goes on in these types of roles, and all the important elements you need to understand to be successful in the job. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport.
2: Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final?
1: You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network
0: is one of the most important things you can do.
1: I didn't necessarily follow my passion.
2: I followed my curiosity.
0: Once you've worked in sports, there's no going back.
1: And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello, and welcome to the Sportscope podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker. Joining me is the innovational Reuben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia, and each week we learn how people made it in sports and we tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills, and everything they do that makes them great. Also, you can learn how to get in, get promoted, and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes, how are we, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Explain innovational. What does that mean? You're a man of innovation. Do You're... you mean innovative? Innovative. Uh, that is a word, I will say. Innovation. I think
2: that's the word that you mean. <laughs>
1: no, I looked it up before. Innovational. I've even got it here. Innovational. Uh, yep, it is there. It is an adjective for uh, creative. There you go. So I thought it was built
2: into innovative, but... <laughs> Perhaps not. Oxford's saying otherwise.
1: (laughs) I reckon I might have said in a video once upon a time as well. It rings a bell. Mm. Uh, But if anyone wants to check that and let us know, (laughs) please do so. But Google is saying it's a word. So,
2: Well, there you go. We'll we'll back googling. We learn lots of different things every single week on this podcast. (laughs) And there's another one. (laughs) Jeez, we're learning new words. Uh, What's been happening? Plenty, plenty. I feel like Melbourne just snapped... Yeah. Uh, a cold front on us immediately. It's gone from uh, 100 to zero all at once. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, those those wintry treks into the office are, are back.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> a bit harder to wake up this morning. Mm. Uh, I, I had the full kit on last night. in dead. I was freezing. Mm. W- wore socks to bed. That's how cold it was, <laughs> uh, which is pretty rogue for me. But uh, anyway, yeah, you're dead right. The, the cold snap is finally here. Yep. Mm. And your birthday last week, how is the golf cart? Uh, the golf cart? <laughs> i um i set it up inside uh just to test it out how, how it works uh i didn't i wasn't able to get out um in the uh on, on the course last mm. weekend obviously the rain was pretty shocking uh but this week hopefully we'll we'll get out there and, and test it but um yeah, all good at HQ. A great haul of presents for my birthday. It was, it was brilliant. Excellent. So. Well, well played by you. No, thank you, thank you. All righty, let's get cracking. If you don't already, please follow us on LinkedIn. And if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others working in sport become a member of the Sports grade community. Rubes. what is going on in the community right now?
2: Yeah, lots of wins going on, which we love. we got our little channel set up where everyone sa- shares their uh, their successes of the week. So a couple of people to call out. Bradley Colero, uh, he's just done his induction at the AFL. He's over working, working in uh, Alice Springs with mm. uh, AFL-NT, but he's back in Melbourne to do his induction at HQ. So what right on to you, Bradley. Uh, Debitish, recently joined spark event group he's about to join their casual workforce doing uh, their series of events which you know around the 12-month calendar includes the likes of uh, the australian open and the australian grand prix mm-hmm. so a lot to look out for for debbie shish and then uh, rebecca ruthervan speaking of major events has just been offered a volunteer role at the fifa women's world cup which is going to be an extraordinary piece of experience to add to her resume so well done to you rebecca but then on top of that, we've got a whole bunch of events coming up. And our new sort of theme for this round of events is meet people in sport at sport. Yep. And so if you're, going, if you're in Brisbane, you've got the chance at a Bro- Brisbane Broncos games game in a week or two to uh, come and hang out with the sports grad community over an NRL game. They're playing the Penrith Panthers. It's going to be an incredible match, going to be an incredible chance to meet people in the mm. sports industry. Then if you're in Melbourne, don't worry, we're coming to a Melbourne football club game as well. Sydney, we've got events lined up for you, don't worry. And then if you're in Europe this June and July, keep your eyes peeled because there are some announcements coming very soon about meet-up opportunities over on the other side of the world.
1: Very, very
2: exciting. Mm, lots happening. So if you uh, if you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the world of sports grad, uh, and if you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday with all the latest Uh, updates then head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe there's links in our show notes to join
1: brilliant well there's a massive episode coming up so grab a pen enjoy this chat with Rana Hussain with a new course Deakin Business School is preparing graduates to capitalize on the golden opportunities in sports management it's time to take charge of your career with the executive masters of sports management a one-of-a-kind qualification which is designed as a more advanced version of Deakin's popular master of business in sports management which is the number one ranked program of its kind in australia Delivered online via Deakin's Cloud Campus, the EMSB provides students with a focus on specific business knowledge, including areas of strategy, sports governance, leadership and fan engagement. Capitalise on the golden decade with a degree that will give you the skills you need. Rana, welcome to the Sports Grab podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Right, it's a pleasure to
2: finally get you in this room. We're very <laughs> excited to be chatting with you finally, but um, I wanted want to start somewhere uh, a little different today, and that was um, with your LinkedIn tagline. Mm. So I was having a look at your LinkedIn. You've done an incredible amount of things, but your tagline says, fostering belonging and connection through sport and media. Yeah. I was wondering if you could explain why this sits at the top of your profile.
0: Oh a really good question because I've changed that so many times and it like some of it's semantics right but um I really struggle to define what it is that I do and have a good elevator pitch um, which you need in life and in in my business especially because what I do is so sprawling and vast it's very hard to explain and like I just want an, a neat little phrase that I can tell people that I just crave some days. Like I could, I'd love to just be able to say I'm a teacher and that <laughs> yeah. explains it. You know, there's not much more I have to say. Um, so I thought about that phrasing a lot um, and it used to be, um, you know, connecting through sport and media or diversity and inclusion specialists. And I think when I, um, yeah, when I sort of thought about it, I really distilled what it is that I do. There really seems to be two areas that I play in, although I'd love to broaden that out. So I don't know how long i going to stay like that. Uh, but I think, yeah, like sport and media are, are my two happy places, really, um, and where I've just gravitated towards. Uh, but what I do in those spaces was always about belonging um it started off as you know cultural competency and community connection and then inclusion and diversity but really as I've evolved and belonging is one of those kind of zeitgeist words uh, at the moment but it really makes a lot of sense to me and when when I realized that was kind of what I'm doing and then when the rest of the world started talking about belonging I thought yeah okay I think that's it for me uh and really that's tied to who I am as a person and the way I grew up which was both feeling like I do belong and I really don't belong and that's always been at the core for me like it it, it amazes me how much that's driven everything that I've done even when I don't realize it and so anytime you know media I like doing it Uh, I think I'm okay at it I don't think I'm great at it but I still turn up to do it because Helping other people feel like they belong and feel represented is so important to me. So those are kind of, that's really the crux of what I do at the end of the day.
2: Amazing! I love how it's taken some iterations to to land on that wording. But um, cool that it's like focused on the outcome that you want to create rather than say what you do day to day.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's a really good pick up because in my mind, and one day I'll you know I'll put the, this all on a website. I reckon um, <laughs> I do uh, you know fostering belonging it happens in so many different ways for me it's not just um, through a D&I role it's you know the conversations I have that nobody knows about you know behind the scenes it's uh, championing other people so it, it's it's kind of a medi- my I feel like my life is a meditation on that um, and it just you know give I have so many interests and I am creative so I do it in a lot of different ways.
1: Amazing, love it. It's definitely better than my LinkedIn headline. <laughs> <laughs> Might need to do a bit of work on that one. Um, we start every episode with some quick fire questions, yes. and that's basically for our, our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So I'll kick us off. What was your first ever job?
0: I was a teacher aide at a primary school. So and it was very late. <laughs> I didn't have a part time job growing up. Um, I wasn't allowed to. See. My parents were like, no. You're going to focus on your studies. So early adulthood, I just decided I was going to do something. I was trying to work out if I wanted to be a teacher or a counsellor. So i aligned to that job.
2: Nice. And what did you study at university?
0: I did a creative arts degree at Melbourne Uni and then I went on to do a master's in social work which is kind of now, I feel like, at the time I was sort of like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this this makes sense to me. It's what I want to do. This will turn into something and now I can really see how they've both kind of converged for me.
1: Yeah, nice. Um, Um, What's your favourite sporting moment? I... (laughs)
0: I know. I just remembered what I wrote. Is it, this is the, one of the hardest questions you could ask a sports fan. I just <laughs> looked at it. And even now when you ask it, I just think, oh, that's that's too much. My mind boggles. Uh, one that comes to mind a lot is Scott Boland, um, Boxing Day. What was that now? 20, 2021. Yeah. yeah. Mm. For a few reasons. It was just... Amazing to be there, and just to kind of (laughs) every couple of minutes hear the crowd just (laughs) erupt because he's taken another wicket. Um, But his debut as an Indigenous player for the Australian Test uh, team—I think we all understood what that moment meant. But for me, and if you just stop and kind of think about it even a little bit more, the Australian Test team has for so long been the symbol of what Australian masculinity means, um, you know, it's the national team, it's the national team, the baggy green means so much to us from a symbolic point of view. So to finally have an Indigenous man um, pull that on and then not only do that but then just slay. (laughs) 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 And then, you know, go on to win the Muller Medal which was um, named after Johnny Muller who was first Indigenous captain um, ever in Australian cricket and you know the first touring team which was an all Aboriginal team so there's so much symmetry and um, just beautiful poetry in that Uh, it was quite a moment and then to be working at Cricket Australia at the time um, and to see all that kind of come together was really really beautiful so I think that's probably one that's up there.
2: That's a great one I was there that day too. Though I missed the, miss the last day of the test match because I think everyone in the crowd on the first three days got COVID. That was when yes. Omicron was running I got rough. COVID, I got
0: COVID <laughs> that test match. That was the only test match I attended that <laughs> summer and I got mm. COVID, but I'm glad I was there.
1: Um, I chose not to go that day. <laughs> <laughs> Beauty.
2: Um, what is one of your favourite interview questions to ask candidates?
0: Uh, I mean... I always, I'm a terrible person to have on an interview (laughs) panel because I'll always go deep, you know, why do you want to do this? What is it? What drives you? What's your purpose? Um, Which not everyone's ready for and Mm. it's probably quite unfair. Uh, So I do like to ask and know, because this was asked of me actually, um, what does support look like for you? Because I think... You know, in interviews, we all like to do that dance where, you know, I'm going to be great and it's all going to work out and I'll never need any help and we're going to trust you and we're never going to, you know, (laughs) we'll just expect you to know everything as soon as you walk through the door. The reality is that's never the case and shit happens and you need to be in a workplace where people are going to support you and that looks so different for everybody. And so I love the idea of a boss... An employer saying you know what would support look like so we can be set up for you and an employee walking into their workplace knowing that that conversation's been had and so when they're not feeling supported they can say hey this is what I really need and we talked about this uh, so that's kind of what I would hope that's the kind of conversation I think
2: interviews should mm. be Another highly empathetic leader who came on a couple of episodes ago was uh, Emily Jackson, head of legal at FIFA Women's World Cup. And she said "Her one of her favourite questions is, you know, what's your management style? How do you like to be managed? So good, cool to hear that that's a kind of consistent theme among people who want people to enjoy work. Mm.
0: Yeah. I d- uh, like, I'm, I don't know how else to work how else I don't get the best out of myself if I haven't had those conversations and I've worked in so many workplaces where that's been the case and I just inevitably fail and whether I fail on paper or not but I don't feel good and I know I haven't gotten the best out of myself and they haven't gotten the best out of me and so I just don't know how you do operate in a team where you don't lay that kind of foundation. And I think sport is so good at that and good at those conversations. You know, what does team look like mm. for us? And so I think it's just good for any workplace really.
2: Mm. Is there a particular book or podcast that you'd recommend that's helped you at work?
0: Sorry, I realise these are meant to be fast questions. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Going that's on. fine. Um Yeah, so many, (laughs) and I have so many books that I buy for work and also haven't gotten around to reading, but I know I will one day. Uh, Dare to Lead was a game changer for me, and I think for a lot of people, and it feels a bit cliche to say, but Brené Brown's work in general for workplaces, I mean, I think it's just crucial, reading. Uh, But there's so much, like I, I can't possibly canvas it, I think, just, you know, authenticity and being okay with being vulnerable has really made life a lot easier for me.
1: Awesome. Are you associated with any grassroots clubs at all?
0: <laughs> this, this is such a hard question. And it's weird that I don't think about this more working in sport. Grassroots sport has always been a challenge for me and still is. And is the reason why I got into sport And so it's alarming to me how little time I spend in grassroots sport because that's kind of where the most discrimination I've experienced has ever happened. Um, The hardest place it feels like to walk into, um, the place where I desperately want to find a community but don't repeatedly. Um, So I don't... Like, it's sad. It's really a sad question for me that I don't have a local footy club or a cricket club that I feel an affinity to. Uh, and I think that's uh, that would be very different if I was growing up now. I think it's just the generation that I grew up in and being a woman and then a person of colour. Um, I have tried desperately to get my daughter into sport and it just hasn't worked. <laughs> um, she's broken my heart, which is fine. She's allowed to be who she wants to be. <laughs> uh, but I was so like, okay, this is my chance to have a, community, a sporting community um, so no not really I don't you know I feel, I feel an affinity to like the Essendon Cricket Club my nephew plays there um, I grew up in Essendon so that's probably yeah. if anything um, and then we, I always will kind of just turn up to local games because I love the atmosphere um, but no that's alright I'm open like I'm open to be adopted so yeah, yeah. if <laughs> <wants> <laughs> me, <laughs> give me a S- shout out.
1: submit yeah, your <laughs> requests <laughs>
2: would you go and play cricket or is there another sport you have in mind
0: i think um i would love to play cricket i like i'm not good <laughs> that's okay like, as long as people are fine with me sucking, i'd have to, like i will be so into it um just not talented that's all but yeah i reckon i, I think there's a cricket career in me
2: Awesome. Yeah. Well, if anyone's looking to recruit for next season, (laughs) Rana's putting her hand up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, And last one, which might also be tricky, if you had 30 minutes to pick the brain of anybody in the world, Mm. who would it be?
0: I mean, uh, yeah, not to repeat myself, but Brenna Brown. I mean, I did meet her. She – Richmond Footy Club brought her out um, because they were doing some leadership training with her. Um, and I didn't get to do the training. I was so devastated, um, but it was for particular people. But I got to be at the footy with her um, in a box. And, she, you know, she'd come off like a, a really busy day and, all, like, the last thing she wanted was for, you know, the little nerd me to be picking up. <laughs> and so i just, like... Asked her, like, one question and then just sat there, like, with a big baby smile on face. So I felt so um, – I got close to it but didn't actually get to pick her brain. But that w- that's one I'd love to I, – I, and I feel – you know, when you admire someone, you just feel like you'd be good friends. I feel like we'd get along really well. Um, I, there's, there's so many other people. Like, I just – that's me though like I would happily sit down with anyone and mm. i just like to get under get kind of understand people and how they work and what what makes them tick but Brene is one that I know if I could uh, I would get a lot out of it
2: mm. amazing well that's why we've got you here to understand you <laughs> yeah. and what, what makes you tick and all the things that have happened in, in your career so um perhaps to kind of add some context um, could you walk us through what um, what are the different jobs that you've got going on right now because again we looked at your linkedin profile there's about four different things that say present yeah. so what are you up to at the minute
0: i know, I know. <laughs> everybody's annoyed with me because i just can never give them a straight answer um sorry, i work part-time at champions of change that's probably taking up the bulk of my time and that's a not-for-profit gender equality organization and we work with ceos and basically the the Uh, Crux of that work is we understand that CEOs and leaders have the ability to accelerate change and, you know, in the pursuit of a more equal world, if leaders get on board, they can kind of cut through uh, and really make change happen. And so Champions of Change kind of goes to the heart of power to influence and evolve their thinking and those leaders thinking, not just for their organisations but also themselves as individuals and help them. It's kind of personal development development for them but also kind of providing tools and resources for them to use in their organisations. And so we do that across a number of industries but I work obviously with the sports CEOs. So we have about 16 CEOs that I work closely with Uh, and it's an interesting job to have, you know. it's, It's part influencing, part supporting part challenging, you know, sometimes it is a hard conversation saying, you know, have you thought about this? But what about this? Um, So that's the work that I do. Um, But then outside of that, I also do a fair bit of consulting. Uh, I work with Ben Simmons Family Foundation, which was a foundation that sort of came out in the middle of COVID. Um, And really my first work with them was the Do More Project, which... um, came sort of arise because Ben was in Philly during the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and saw the protests erupting on the streets you know in person and as a biracial guy he really spoke to him but he also is an Australian and he sort of thought well I feel like I need to do something but I don't my people are Australian, I don't know how I can insert myself in a really American conversation. So then he's, you know, and he and he kind of obviously, as most people with that kind of profile do, thought, well, I've got influence, how can I use it? And so we sort of curated um, a few resources and started to have conversations and it's just sort of grown from there. And now we're working on scholarships for um, students of colour at CEDA, which is really in pursuit of having more diversity across the sports sector. Um, But, yeah, a lot of consulting, a lot of talking to leaders and helping them think through issues and then, yeah, smattering of media.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What, What are the sort of media commitments that you get called up for?
0: Uh, a lot of a lot on the ABC um, TV and radio. I have a little spot on ABC local radio, which I do every week. Um, <laughs> which is not sport related at all. It's very silly. Um, it's pop culture nostalgia, <laughs> uh, just to keep things balanced for myself. Um, people are like, "Why do you do that? Like, You're so busy. Why do you still do that?" It's just it makes me so happy, and it fills my cup. I love pop culture. Um, And it's another way to our kind of early conversation, it's another way for me to seed in conversations about, you know, belonging and history and how often what ends up happening is I take a pop culture moment that happened in that week and think about how have we evolved since then, how would we view it now, what's changed, who was let into that moment. Because I think where that comes from for me is I grew up using pop culture as my education for a life that wasn't Indian or Muslim um, because my parents are migrants, they'd had no idea. So to learn about how everybody else thought, it was what was on TV, what's music telling me, um, what's the zeitgeist telling me. And so I learned that was my education. Um, So I often felt like I was on the outside looking into those moments. And so now I like to unpack them and and talk about that. Um, So... Yeah, everything kind of points towards representation and belonging for me. It seeps through even if I don't want it to. Nice. Um, but, yeah, and then, you know, offsiders, talking about sport, um, hopefully doing some stuff for the FIFA Women's World Cup. But, yeah.
2: Like uh, ground presenting? Because we, we saw oh, you at yes. the T20 World Cup last year <laughs> yeah. and over the Cricket Australia summer on the field doing all the ground announcing. Is is yes. that something you're still involved in?
0: Yeah, I was really um, honoured to be asked to do that. Uh crime announcing was never something I thought I would ever do uh, but they asked and then while I worked at Cricket Australia I was sort of in um, the people who organised those things their ear saying cricket is a really diverse game where are the different faces where are the Indians where are the Sri Lankans come on like we want to see ourselves and then of course that turned they turned around on me and said all right <laughs> show us what you've got um, so I did do that over the summer I won't be ground announcing at the World Cup but um, broadcasting with ABC so
1: amazing yeah awesome.
0: lots of I mean I'm as you probably will ask me I'm just uh, if someone asks me to do something and I've got time it's a yes I fully believe in leaning into opportunities when they present so that's why my LinkedIn looks like <laughs> that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, wow. There's a lot happening. A lot it's a <laughs> lot happening, yeah. A lot a lot happening. So that no, that's that's incredible. Um can you here, how did you get to this point? Because obviously what are some of those roles that you had sort of coming out of uni that that have led you to to this position now?
0: So, like I said, I did a social work masters and I, got, I did the social work master's because that first job as a teacher aide was kind of a test for me. I thought everybody said, oh, you should be a teacher. Maybe I should have been. <laughs> um, so I thought, OK, there's something in me that was just like, uh, I don't think that's for me, but maybe I should just see what that's about. So I took that job uh, and I loved being with the kids. I loved it. It was a primary school. Um, and I knew I wanted to be involved in their lives and help them but I really hated telling them to line up or wear their uniform properly, like I just didn't care. (laughs) Um, But I loved, you know, when they talked to me about the friendship problems they had or just what their thoughts were, what movies they were watching. So I started hanging out with the school counsellor and realised that was probably more my speed. So I went and did a social work degree and then went back to that school. Um, She went on maternity leave and I um, took over her role. And so I became the school counsellor. And a big part of that job was not just the one-to-one counselling but producing um, education, well-being education for the students and helping them to understand the world that they lived in and how they should interact with it. And I would always bring in sport, you know, being a huge footy fan and cricket fan and realising that if I did that, they were more likely to listen to me (laughs) than (laughs) anything else. Uh, Especially... um, the young boys, and I know that's very gendered, but at that time and in that school, it a very um, multicultural school, the young boys in particular weren't really interested in uh, feelings or talking about feelings. They <laughs> really wanted to learn about, you know, what Bashar Huli was doing. And um, so it was a much easier conversation. So I started to weave sport into that work. Uh, and I realised just how much I was loved that and was more interested in the sports side of it and what that did for the conversation than the actual conversation we were having. (laughs) I cared about it Um, and so I just felt like and and simultaneously I saw the challenges that community was facing. Uh, It was a very insular community and I grew up interacting outside of my community bubble a lot and getting a lot of benefit from it sport was one of them being able to go to the footy and understanding the sporting world really helped me move through society and so i wanted that community to feel the benefit of a sporting community and connect those two worlds Um, and so the afl began a afl multicultural ambassador program purely volunteer um but as soon as I saw those two words like AFL and multicultural (laughs) I just ran at it um and I volunteered with them for about four years and that was sort of my entrance into the sporting world um I didn't do a lot I have to say like there were other ambassadors who were really active and you know ran programs and I still just kind of observed and found my feet a little bit and then eventually realized this. I've got something here like I think I could contribute Um, and when Adam Goods started to get booed um, it was kind of like a defining moment for me I just was fed up and frustrated and thought no I have a voice and I have a skill set here that I could probably offer up and so it was just through those networks um, that I said look I want to work in this industry I don't care what it is I just know that if I'm in there I'll make something happen here. Um, and so it was literally just that volunteer program, then talking to the people who ran it, and then they kind of found something for me.
2: Amazing. Wow. And, th- and, th- and then from there, were there a few steps between that volunteer role and, and what you're doing now?
0: Yeah. So I, I spoke to Ali Fahua, um, who was at the AFL at the time. He's now running Bachelor Huli's program and just killing it um he as he was the one i said to actually it was at the 2016 um western bulldogs grand final when they won um i said to him legato like just i'm looking for something it doesn't matter what it is i've already quit my job (laughs) 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 so you have to find me something um and he they were um offering traineeships from the Bashahooli Foundation. Foundation um, and one of them was at the Richmond Footy Club and Richmond were looking for someone who could connect them with Indian communities. Uh, so, But in a fan engagement and marketing role, which <laughs> after my creative arts degree and social work degree, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to get, but somehow they took me um, and I just started in that role I I truly had no idea what I was meant to do or was doing but committed to just kind of paying attention and working it out my first year I was organizing VFL games and um, fan engagement for those games and I I remember like dream my first dream time it was the VFL game before the Dreamtime match at the G and it was just thousands of people and I was on the like running it all and <laughs> like stuffing it up completely, like it wasn't run very well, <laughs> um, but you know, learning quite a bit. Um, and after that year, I sort of worked out as much as we do need to connect with the Indian community from a fan engagement point of view, actually, what I know these people need is for footy clubs to understand them better and for footy clubs to say we will come to you and we will make our environment more welcoming and inclusive so that you want to turn up. Because it's not a very different conversation, but if you don't feel like you're welcome somewhere or that product is for you, you're just never going to bother even engaging with it. Mm. And so instead of saying, all right, let me help you market to these communities, it was more a conversation about how do we look and sound more inclusive and welcoming and be more welcoming. And so that's when... My title changed to diversity and inclusion and I kind of went on this journey um, and I stayed there for the next kind of five years doing that role.
2: Amazing. And then Cricket Australia (laughs) after that, in the same sort of role?
0: Yeah, pretty much the same role, Um, just a little bit more senior. COVID hit at Richmond. Um, I was, I think in this job you have to stay fresh and I felt like I'd done that first push of kind of breaking ground and someone else needed to come and build it up more Um, at the same time the Collingwood racism scandal started happening and they were looking for experts for their anti-racism expert group and they asked me to be part of it and it meant I couldn't stay at Richmond Um, it wasn't a big job it was kind of like a you know once a quarter meeting sort of thing but it did mean getting under the hood of that club and and understanding that club and having to leave Richmond behind. But I felt like it was really important learning for me. So I did take that. And then, yeah, Cricket Australia, the job landed in my lap, so to (laughs) speak. And, yeah, that was that.
2: Amazing. For those who... um uh, are looking at the diversity and inclusion space as, as an area that they might want to work in in the future. We've heard a, a few examples of some of the projects he worked on, but um, when you enter a d and wh- like role, wh- what's your remit? Like What what do you do in those roles?
0: It's so funny because the role at Richmond we created. It wasn't there. We sort of made it to suit me in a lot of ways <laughs> um, and then they've built it out since then. Um, so the sports DNI roles are very different to corporate DNI or other DNI roles, which I've come to learn as I delve into more of those spaces. They're so different, and I love the sports DNI roles, because that's more about looking at fans or members and athletes and staff. Um, so it's a big job. Um, but looking at how do you make sure that everybody can play? everybody can turn up if they want to Uh, how do you make sure that the policies are you know suit everybody and accommodate everybody so it's really working closely with people and culture teams um, but then also working really closely with marketing and sponsorship you really become a team that works across the entire organisation, because what you're trying to do is lift their capability and open up. Uh, unfortunately, because of history, um, a lot of sporting organisations aren't very diverse, and and people's understanding of diversity and inclusion is could be a lot better. Um, and so, really, the job at the end of the day, I think, is helping everyone in the organisation to. Um, open up their minds and think about who are we pitching things at, who are we talking to, who do we want to engage. There's really formal ways of doing that and strategically organisations now, it's changed so much since I started, like it it has really exploded. Organisations now go, okay, we need to make sure that for the LGBTQ community, we are speaking their language and we are open and safe For culturally diverse communities, we are open and safe. So, you know, they're all very different conversations, people with different accessibility needs. Uh, So you're having, you know, five or six different really nuanced conversations on a number of different levels. Uh, And so it can be really a sprawling job, but ultimately you're breaking down 100, 200 years of tradition that really pitched sport to white men. And saying, okay, what does that look like now for a lot of different communities?
2: So it sounds like it's kind of your role to almost empower everyone within the organisation to make the, the team or the sport more inclusive as opposed to you know just being the only person who makes it inclusive.
0: Exactly. And I think when I started out, that is what the job was. It was me and a couple of other people doing all the work uh, and running programs I think where the industry's gotten to now is it's enabling others to do that and understand how they build their products or programs to be for a lot more people. Mm.
2: And are there any sort of like essential skills or experiences required to to do this sort of job?
0: Depends who you ask. <laughs> I mean, I'm <laughs> a testament to the fact that you don't need that. I think I think if you've got the kind of sound thinking, you're aware of what's going on around the world. And you, you're happy to do your own reading and understand that there's not one way, there's not one existence, there's not one viewpoint that everybody comes to life from a different upbringing and experience. Then you understand, okay, I need to tailor programs and I need to not assume one our way is the right way. And I think the key skill set is uh, empathy and being able to be inquisitive and curious and respectful. So I think I, people see, and, and necessarily diversity and inclusion is positioned as there's a core group and then there's all these other groups, which I think is just fundamentally wrong. I think at the end of the day, a good, good diversity and inclusion practice is about understanding that we're all very, very different and tailoring the workplace and how do you make the workplace or the sporting environment flex as much as it can. And when you get someone who is different turning up, how do you then respond to that or how do you prepare for that difference and accommodate? I think that's, that's best practice to me. Um, there are some basics there that you need <laughs> um, about, around understanding safety and, and discrimination. I think that's probably if you don't have a sound understanding of what's discriminatory and what's not, you're not going to be very good at your job. Um, But outside of that, it's, I think most people can do it, but it's the type of person that you are. Mm.
2: And you like, you've got to care about it deeply. Like you can't, Mm. you can't fake it. Like you have to be curious and care.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I think you can learn it, but if you don't care that, if you're a one size fits all type of person, it's going to be very hard <laughs> to do <take that laughs> job. And sometimes that's the kind of work you end up doing because of the scale of something. But the, I think if you can't tune in to different lived experience, it's, it's going to be a really hard job for you.
2: Mm. Yeah. Just out of interest, who is doing it particularly well that you've seen? Like What, what clubs, what sports are leading the way in this yeah. space?
0: I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of local clubs and I do hear about them. My world is very much the elite sporting world. Tennis Australia are real standouts to me. I mean, I work with them um, at Champions of Change, but I've also been involved, not that I haven't been involved, but they've shown me the, a lot of the work and often, you know, seek advice. Um, and they're just, I think their thinking and processes are really good. So they worked on their internal capability first. They really lifted the internal education Um And then, you know, they've got the luxury of having the Australian Open, which is a beautiful platform for them to showcase that. And so they've really taken steps to make sure that that is a really inclusive and welcoming environment. And some of it's really simple, like putting in prayer rooms is so easy. But once you do it and then you let people, you know, you do it with consultation with the communities and then you you make sure it's there and then you let those communities know, suddenly you get an influx of those communities at your event and it's it's kind of a no-brainer. So they've cracked that beautiful balance between this is good for business and it's also the right thing to do and we're doing it in a respectful way. So Kerry Tavro um, at Tennis Australia is amazing and you should definitely get him on the podcast <laughs> if you haven't already. Um, he he doesn't just do the work because he knows it's good for business which he does know he also does it in a really uh, consultative way where he puts yeah. that community front and center and makes helps them design what it is that they need um and i think that's it's it's a really good case study in what good d and i looks like
2: mm. well we had one of his um uh direct reports on way back when uh, anna livingston have you uh, come across uh, her yeah 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 she was in uh, episode 145 way back when, so we might have to get carry on. Yeah. I think
0: you're going to have to. He, <laughs> like, he really has um, taken Tennis Australia, I think, to, into the future when it comes to D&I, and he's not done yet either. There's so much more. <laughs> he's got um, cooking. And I think, the, you know, D&I, what I've noticed in sport, there's a lot of turnover because it's a hard job. Um, it doesn't. I think a lot of people go, "What do they even do?" Well, it seems pretty cushy. Um, the reality is, you're constantly pushing against the grain of an organisation, and, and it's a real balance between challenging what the organisation has always done and fitting in. And I think it's really hard, especially for people with lived experience. I've seen so many people, whether it's Indigenous staff or people from culturally diverse backgrounds or queer people who come in as the only person of their lived experience and it's their job to change everything and be the advocate and champion every day, Um, not only outwardly but internally. That's so hard. And so it's, you know, you see high turnover in D&I roles. Uh, And because you are lumped with quite a lot of work usually, where in the corporate sector you'd have a whole department, often it's one or two staff members. So it is taxing. Um, But I've seen with Kerry because he has stayed there and he's been able to build it and build it and build it. They've got that kind of consistency and been able Mm. to actually create this legacy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Incredible. Oh, yeah, I've just got one more question. I know I've <laughs> yeah. gone into in. this line. But, um, <laughs> um, like I can imagine a lot of people wouldn't be a nice thing for them to just, like their job is to constantly challenge. I like could sound like a pretty tough role to, con- to continue to do. Is there a particular approach that you take when challenging people in the way that they Because I can imagine, you know, you're opening yourself up to get pushback. So how do you open up that? conversation in a way that is constructive Mm.
0: oh I've tried every way (laughs) I will try every way depending on what I think is gonna work um yeah look I think as I get further on in my career I've learnt the private constructive conversation is always the best one uh and if I will always try that first let me pick up the phone let me sit down with the CEO Um, let me present a case and say, why don't we try? How about we try? Let's just try it. Because I think that's going to get you further. Um, But there are times where you have to draw a line or you have to stand up for something and say, that's just really wrong. And often what happens is decisions will get made without you um, or in spite of you or you weren't aware of it. And so you find something out and it's too far down the line to change it and you have to course correct it so I think that's when you often have to kind of have a bit of a blunt tool Um, or if you think you know that you're at risk of something um, so that's when you yeah you're having a much stronger conversation. I think there are things that often in DNI people can't see further down the line or you're risk mitigating so it's a lot of if we don't do this, we're going to kind of be up for a lot of scrutiny. And so then you'll do it and people don't realise what you've avoided as well. Um, you know, getting really boring policies <laughs> tabled. But people, and especially in sport, people aren't interested in policy. Like no one wants to work on policy or action plans. They're really, It can be really dry work. Um, but when you do it and when it's there, it does actually avoid so much. Um, So sometimes that's the harder conversation. Just I always think it's less about the challenge and more about um, getting people's attention, to be honest, because there's always so much more happening. There's more pressing issues. Um, There's sponsorship dollars to talk about. And often people just see D&I as kind of the side work um, and really getting it tabled and paid attention to. That's the hard part.
1: Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Big question that a lot of our listeners ask themselves is like, am I going on the right career path? Mm. And I'm keen to hear sort of out of all the roles that you've had so far, like when was that moment where you were just left saying like, yep, this is, this is for me, this is the job for me? How did you know?
0: God, I'm still asking myself that. So <laughs> I think that is lesson one. Um, is you may never not ask yourself that question. I mean, I think people are very lucky when they land in the thing and go, yep, this is me and this will always be me. I'm not one of those people. (laughs) I will always be looking, you know, ahead or across to say what else could I be doing. Um, And I've done a lot of personality tests to just accept that that's me <laughs> maybe that's a strength and I might just have to use that. I did one the other day, I'm not kidding, I do a lot of personality tests because I just want the reassurance <laughs> that I'm not super batty um, and one of them was you have great ideas and you'll always you know, have the forward thinking idea, you just need a team to help you make it happen <laughs> so, so I was like yeah, that's definitely me Um I think, so I had a moment, when I was counselling at the primary school, I had a moment, one day after school, I just, I was waiting for my partner to pick me up and I just had some stuff was happening. I think I had an encounter with someone on the road or things were just percolating in my head and I just wrote it all down. And it was just a piece of writing about what it means to be a person of colour in Australia and kind of having those dual identities and how much I was very much a trashy bogan on the inside, but people looking at me would never pick that. You know, my interest in sport, the, you know, the TV shows that I watch, the language I use, like it just, you know, how funny it was to me that People look at me and have a completely different idea of who I might be, but then when they get to know me, they're always like, "Oh my god, you're just you're just like us." Um, You've got,
2: s- you got the weekend jet ski and the, <laughs> and the holidays to Bali. Yeah, yeah exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, and so I just started writing about that, and it just kind of poured out of me. And then I read it and I thought, I feel like this is something. And so I sent it off to a a publication and said, "Eh, do you want this? (laughs) And straight away, they were like, yep, we're publishing this. And it was kind of like that moment where I went, oh, yeah, (laughs) I have stuff to say. And I think people would be interested in it. And it's not just stuff to say about anything. It's connecting worlds it's building bridges between communities so that was kind of the first moment where I was like yeah I have to quit my job (laughs) as much as I love that job I was like oh there's so many other things I want to be doing um and then another moment was when I mean there's plenty of them but one that stands out was with the Richmond wheelchair team so we um were well, one of the first clubs to adopt a wheelchair team with AFL Victoria. Um, it was a new competition and we just we just jumped on it and we kind of went um, hammer and tong at establishing this team. The club weren't sold on it, but um, my team and I just went, no, no, we have to do this. And we all knew that it was right, but we couldn't really artic- articulate it. And so that was one of those times where you just go, just trust we're doing it and you just keep going forward and ask for forgiveness later. Um, and Richmond um, just, I don't know, we just took it um, by the horns and they lost the first grand final. And then when they won the second grand final, uh, it was just such a moment. Uh, and I just remember thinking, yeah, yeah. Like th- this is what we're meant to do. A little kid came um, who was in a wheelchair to watch the real Richmond wheelchair team play and win a grand final, and it, it kind of just go, "Oh yeah, this is this is what this is the feeling, and this is what I want to do forever and ever." So I think those two things really.
1: Yeah, That's
2: incredible. B- before you came on, we asked you if there were any sort of tools or resources that kind of help you in your job. But what, one of the things that you mentioned was um, values-defining activities. Mm. Firstly, wh- why did you mention that? And um, how has that made a difference in your professional life?
0: I bet everyone came with really practical <laughs> stuff
1: and I just doing this
0: vague thing. Um,
1: a calendar. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know. Um, um, so <laughs> I've done it in various forms over the years, but last year, in particular, I did this leadership program through the AIS, which is for um, women executives. Um, but I also did another leadership program called Change Up, um, which was just a private one. And in both of those programs, we did this activity where you circle in on what your values are. And you there's so many ways you can do this. You pick, um, and, and then also I did it by myself before both of those just because I was like, I need to know, like, what do I actually care about? Um, because I feel like I care about everything. So what, what's most important to me? Um, and so you just look at words, values words, and you start to kind of, um, what's the word, like, categorise them. And you say, okay, I really don't care about these I really, really care about these and these I could kind of give or take. Sometimes I care about them, sometimes I don't. And you just whittle them down to say your top five. And it's, it's kind of, it shouldn't take you too long. It's, you're going by instinct. Um, And you, I circled around kind of five. And then over that year, I just kept kind of honing them and revisiting them and working out, does this make sense to me? Is this what I actually care about and value. And then one of the best activities was to think about, you know, when I'm at my best, when I'm at my most content, when I feel like I'm really nailing it, do these things turn up or what turns up if not these? And it consistently was the same five, really, Um, similar... You know, some, some of them are semantics, but it was the same sort of concepts. And that was so crystallising for me because it really helped me understand the type of work I want to do that if I don't have these present in my work and in my life I'm really dissatisfied and I get really grumpy and depressed and angry um, and if if I'm not aligned with those I'm actually just not going to achieve so for me that makes a huge difference and then purpose as well if I'm not crystal clear on purpose and values and they're not turning up in my day-to-day, it's really um, debilitating for me. So I know for some people it's like, location's the really important thing with work or who you work with. For me, it's those things. And once I've worked that out about myself, it makes decision-making a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So that can play out in big choices about what you do for a living, but it can also be about what you do with your free time or things you say no to. Um, I get a lot of requests to do things, to do podcasts, to do, you know, to write things, um, attend things, and that became too much for me. And I found, and I find it really hard to say no, because I am interested in everything and I could do everything. Um, And so even in those choices, it makes a huge difference to me. I go, okay, does this align to where I'm going Does this align to my purpose and what I want to achieve in life? Does it align to my values? If not, then I don't do it. And so I think that's why it's made my life easier. As much as it sounds so Mm. airy-fairy, it's like it makes me make decisions quicker. It makes me, you know, when I'm down in the dumps, it helps pull me out of it. So all of that.
2: So it's like clear-cut decision-making and energy too. Get going every day. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Is 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 there anywhere that people can go to on the internet? Any books that people can find this sort of stuff if they're interested in diving into it?
0: I mean, just Google. How do I know what I value? <laughs> which is exactly what I did. Um, I'm I'm to, to be honest, Google is my big tool now because <laughs> I realised, you know, like the other day, I had to write key messages, and I should know how to do that, but I was just felt stuck, and so I was like, How do I write key messages? Google it, like. What should I do for a job? Google it. So I highly recommend that. But yeah, just plug in values, how to define your values. And there's so many ways and, that come up. Mm. Just pick one and see how you go.
1: Amazing. Mm. Google's our friend. Yep. And we're so happy you have decided to come on our podcast. By the way. <laughs> yeah. You could have easily said no. Well, yeah. you
0: made the values. Yeah, test, we all so. <laughs> Fantastic.
1: Fantastic. Talk to us a little bit about the, the, the difficult parts of, of your job and, um, you know, when have you felt most challenged in your career so far?
0: Yeah. I think, like, like I said, getting on people's radar is really, really hard, especially in this industry. There's so many people, how do you get noticed? And then in sport, D&I or conversations about belonging or community are not on people's kind of to-do list even now when it's exploded, it's still not really. Uh, So that I always find really challenging because it (laughs) it often feels like a personal affront to have to convince people that the work that I do is important. That that can be really soul crushing. Uh, So you do have to kind of find people that Believe in you and agree with you, um, for want of a better way of phrasing that. Um, but who get it and who who remind you know what you do matters. I find that really really challenging. I think because I'm an extrovert and I like to do a lot of things. But just the grind of it, like the admin, um, you know, having to do it all yourself. I think the nature of the work that I do is I'm often in a team of just me or one other person. So. I think having to master everything and get everything happening is really hard. I think then the getting other people along for the ride, like the kind of influencing piece is a challenge. You really have to be able to make your case and be, keep maintain relationships. And that's not easy with the kid and family and other stuff that you want to do. That's always challenging.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: Um, you've been around this space for... A a long time now, um, I'm keen to hear like what uh, social issues social issues out there you think uh, are still most prevalent, like what's most an issue right now and what issues have we made the most progress on? What 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 has a lot of work gone into that's made a lot of improvement? Can you yeah. compare where we're at with um, a couple of best and worst case issues out there?
0: Well, it, I'll start by sort of answering an opposite question, which I think it's really interesting to always notice what issues are aren't on the radar or have disappeared that once were interesting for people and have gone now. And what's really challenging in this kind of work is you're often writing the zeitgeist and that's not necessarily the right thing always.
2: So you've mentioned zeitgeist a few times. Oh, for those who don't understand, what, what does that <laughs> word mean? It's just
0: like <laughs> what's in the, in the popular conversation? Yeah, gotcha. What's kind of <laughs> – sorry. Um, what's, you know, what's popping up in news, what's popping up in culture – What's on people's minds? So, there was a moment during COVID where Black Lives Matter was everywhere, and suddenly workplaces were saying, How do we have conversations about race? That's not really happening like it was before, and, and some of that's natural, you know, you can't be that intense about things all the time. But it's interesting to see when people care and when they don't. Um, I think, you know, naturally around marriage equality everybody was trying to get a, their heads around that conversation so uh, I find it really interesting that cultural diversity you know when I was growing up multiculturalism was very in uh and so that was very much a conversation everybody and every leader was having having it's kind of in a way it's sort of coming back because uh The last census showed us how diverse we are and how many migrant populations we do have. So now when we've got workforce pressures, people are suddenly back onto that conversation. So it's always part of my practice to scan the culture and see what are we talking about? What also aren't we talking about? But I think, you know, the voice is clearly the biggest conversation nationally at the moment or one of. Uh, and workplaces and sporting organisations at the elite level are all grappling with that. But I think it's less about the voice itself and more the role of sporting organisations, especially elite ones where there's so much interest and uh, eyeballs are on everything that they do. The conversation really underneath it is what's their role in society? What role are they meant to play? And there's some people who will say, well, you know, You shouldn't get involved in politics, and there's others who say, "But you're the biggest brands in the country. What you, your take on things matters and can influence, and you have an opportunity and maybe a responsibility to help people through these decisions." And so I think that's the biggest conversation when I sit with the CEOs that I work with. That's constantly an issue for them, and even in my DNR DNI roles, it's often advising. When do we speak up on social issues? When don't we? How's it going to affect us if we do or don't? Um, And so I think for sport more and more as the world evolves and sport and politics mix as it always has, but we have a better understanding of it, it's what is the role of sport? What is its responsibility to weigh in on these issues? Uh, And then I think, you know, the, (laughs) the other issue is how do we actually walk the talk? You know, I think everybody understands that diversity is a good thing and diversity of thinking is a good thing, but we're not seeing the change at at leadership level as much as we would probably like to. Um, So how do you actually do the work of that? How do you get different people into this sporting environment when they haven't traditionally been there? I think that's still um, the crux of the conversation. And for a lot of people, they're still looking at women you know why don't we see more women leaders in sport Um, but I think it's coming.
2: So it sounds like sport should be thinking more about what role they play within different issues that are that are out there.
0: Yeah and Mm. I think that's changed like that is ever evolving I I think sport was very much the beauty of sport for some people is that it doesn't involve itself at all. And there's a part of me that feels that way too. You know, I grew up post 9-11 and sport was the place where I parked all of that, you know, all of that baggage. I didn't have to weigh into it. So it's a really weird tension for Mm. me to be in this job where I actually want to protect sport from some of it because that is the beauty of it. And that's why I loved it so much. So how do you help people be their full selves in sport but also not have to bring the baggage too it's a it's a weird dance
1: yeah mm. yeah it's a tough balance mm. like some people just you know using footy for instance probably just go to the footy on the weekend to switch off yeah and yeah, you know, i can see why some people would be like i don't i don't want to think about other issues i just want to yeah. watch the footy
0: yeah that I, i'm one of those people when i worked at richmond my favorite part of the week I mean, it, footy clubs are so beautiful. It's got such a beautiful cadence. You build up to that game day moment, mm. and then once the siren goes, it all goes away. And yeah. I would just my favorite thing was to sit by myself. You know, not with the other, with the players, not with the staff. Just by myself and watch the game and not talk to anyone. It was just like a meditative thing <laughs> for me. It tells you what a nuffy I am. But it would, you know, that was my favorite bit, and I often thought. God, I really get it when people say just don't mess with the sport and they yeah. often see people like me as doing that, as messing with something that's quite precious to them on a personal level and I often say it's not that. I don't want to touch what happens siren to siren. What I do want is for other people to have that experience with sport and that's what we're talking about usually.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: It's been awesome. I feel like there's a lot of people who are thinking about getting into this space or aren't sure yeah. about this space, and to to hear all the issues that you've kind of surfaced or explained that actually what goes into this role is would be quite eye opening for a lot of people.
0: <laughs> I would say that uh, if you want to work in sport, you don't have to love sport, but I think loving it makes it so much easier because yeah. you. It is tough. It is complicated. And I think having a healthy foot outside of sport is really important. And, but when the people come for sport so much, it can get slammed so quickly. Um, so if you love it, it just it, you know, it just makes it such a breeze. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Last question. Um, if you could drop a, a note on the desk of a, a university student, we love this question, mm. uh, for them to reach your role, what would you, what would you say on that note?
0: I think, I mean, I said it before, just say yes to every every opportunity that comes your way. Just lean into it. Even if it's scary, just give it a go. You'll either find out that you absolutely hate it and never want to do it again, or you might find that you love it or there's something else there for you. Uh, so that's my advice to everyone. Just say yes, especially when you're young and you don't have other responsibilities. That's the time to try everything. And then I think really in the same vein, volunteer. I think so many of us wait for the opportunity to be tapped on the shoulder. Just volunteer, whether it's in an organization or just offer to do something or say, can I come along with you? I still do that. Um, I'm looking at you know branching out on my own and doing my, more of my own consulting. And I'm talking to people who are a few steps ahead of me saying, can I just shadow you? Can I come and sit with you and watch you do your thing? That's how I personally learned. So it's – and you don't know until you've seen it sometimes. You kind of need to see someone model it for you. So just putting your hand up and saying, can I come along and just watch you even, I think that's that's the key. And every job I've ever gotten is through a network. It's I've never <laughs> ever <laughs> – I don't know what that means, but I've <laughs> never gotten a job where I've just cold applied and – gotten the job it's always through someone's tapped me on the shoulder someone said you know to you have you got a job I know Rana she's great have you got a job it's you know the network so the more you get involved the more networks you build and that leads to something else
2: well we have had quite a few people say we know Rana she's great (laughs) they're very excited to hear that you're coming into today and thank you for deciding that our podcast fit in with what you wanted to spend your time on. So we're very grateful to have you here. Um, but really appreciate you sharing all your insights all your wisdom and all your knowledge in this space to help encourage more people work in that space and do so in a meaningful way. So thank you for the change that you're creating. And, um, last time we caught up, I shared a story with you about a a girl called Ankita who um, comes from India. She's living in Australia at the moment. Um, and, uh, I had coffee with uh, Ankita over Christmas and New Year's and she said that she saw you doing the ground presenting at the T20 World Cup and said, oh my gosh, there's another Indian woman out there on the field of play calling for one of the biggest tournaments in the world. And that inspired her to feel like she could do the same role at some point in the future. And so that that was all that I shared with you then. She's gone on to become a presenter with the Mumbai Indians at the IPL oh. and uh I spoke to her probably a couple of weeks ago. I told her Rana's coming on the podcast. She said, oh my gosh, can I like dial in to ask her a question? She really wanted to, and we wanted to make it happen, but she's been working till 3 a.m. Oh. last night. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it's, you know, currently early morning in India. Um, but uh, just know that you are inspiring other people out there to do similar sort of things. And I follow her on Instagram. looks like she's having the time of her life, work with all the players. So, um yeah, just a, oh, a small impact that you're making.
0: That's a dream job. That's amazing. <laughs> Can I put that on my LinkedIn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I'll happily answer any question she has. That's um, that's why you do it. That's that's the point, right? Mm. Oh, that's made my day. Oh,
2: Thank you. I'll let Ankeeta know. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Awesome.
1: Thanks for coming in, Rala.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Guys, it's time now for the people's segment, Ask SportsGrad, where every week we answer a question from our community. If you'd like to ask a question first, become a SportsGrad member at our website, sportsgrad.com.au slash community. Then you can add your question to our Discord channel named Ask SportsGrad. Rubes, this one comes from Aishwarya. She says, how do I stay consistent on LinkedIn? I want to grow my profile, but I keep losing momentum any recommendations great
2: Mm. question great question ashwarya and uh, a very common problem because we see a lot of people who post once or twice and Mm. uh and then let it slip and you never hear from them on linkedin again and um you know unless you're going to be consistent um your profile never really grows you don't really stay top of mind unless you're constantly putting yourself out there So to do that, the first step in staying consistent is actually understanding why are you on LinkedIn in the first place. It's kind of like what Rana said. Unless you know your purpose for being there and doing what you're doing, you're not going to have the energy to continue to do it. So first find out why am I on LinkedIn? Is it to get a job? Is it to meet cool people? Is it for another reason? So once you've got that figured out, then you want to figure out a frequency that you can stick to. So it might be once a week, it might be twice a week. And once you've figured out the frequency that you want to do, pick a time in the week when you are going to sit down and actually write your content so that you can start to get into a regular routine of posting, say, at 8 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. That's, That's your time when you sit down, write, and share some content about what you've been up to. So have a purpose in mind, have a time in mind, have a frequency in mind, And just set yourself a cadence that you can stick to. Once you've done that, then you want to start generating a whole lot of ideas. Because say you pick once a week on a Wednesday morning, it becomes really hard to sit down and write something uh, on the spot. If you sit there and go, oh, what am I going to post about today? It's a really difficult session to, to, to whip something up. So the third thing you want to do is spend like a Sunday afternoon or whatever time you've got in your week just generating mass ideas. So the way to do this is uh, think about what are the different things you want to indicate about yourself and how are the different ways that you can indicate them. For example, you might want to indicate that you've got great initiative, and one way you can indicate your initiative is through your work experience. Another way you can indicate your initiative is through the events that you go to. Another way you can indicate your initiative is through the books that you read or the podcasts that you listen to. So I would have a think about what are the things that you want to share about yourself. And uh, typically when we um, encourage people to um, indicate certain values about themselves, we, we talk about values that indicate your potential. That is, things that flag not how good you are right now, but how good you can be in the future when given the time to develop. So initiative is one. Leadership is another. Emotional intelligence is another. Creative thinking is another. Uh, Indicating your your previous results is the fifth one. And so if you literally draw up a grid with these indicators of potential down one side, and then across the top you've got the ways you can show it through webinars, books, experience, Mm. whatever else it is, then you've got, you know, 20-odd squares for you to to fill in the gaps and say, okay, I'm going to combine books and leadership or emotional intelligence and experience or whatever it is, you know, stories. And you can idea-generate for as long as you want. And that means when you rock up on your Wednesday morning to write your post, you've got 20 things that you can start to pick from. And if you've worked out your purpose before, then you know that I'm doing this consistently over 10 weeks to help me build my profile to get a job in sport then that's when it becomes a lot easier and that's how you can stay consistent on LinkedIn
1: yeah love that all about preparation but mm. I honestly think the best thing that we ever did was add, add, add a little bit of time each week to plan LinkedIn posts mm. like little crazy eights even if you want to go super simple but it's so hard just to write a LinkedIn post on the fly mm. like come on <laughs> so if you, if you plan it out, you'll be amazed at how much easier it can be. I know I certainly have have felt that in uh, the last six months or so.
2: That's it. It's it's all about having systems. Yep. Systems just make things so
1: much easier. Yeah, 100%. Brilliant. Uh, well, if you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends in sport a question, sign up and become a SportsGrab member today. Each week, we jump on a Q&A where it's an open floor for you to ask us any questions or any industry professionals any questions. Got a chunk of them coming up, which is fantastic. All these sessions are recorded as well. So when you join, you get immediate access to all of our sessions, all exclusive content for you, which is basically like uh, some sort of streaming service for sports industry. I've said Netflix before, but there's plenty of them. Um, But in the meantime, find us on LinkedIn, find us and give us some love and a rating on Spotify and Apple. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
2: Hey guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings and networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the Sports Grad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.